Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. Well, I am uh, <clears throat> fit to be tied. I hope you are as well. I um, love to come to the pulpit in tears. I've always said to every worship pastor that I work with that that's what they can give me as a present. They can lead me into God's presence so that when I take the pulpit, I am fit to be tied. And so I hope that um, ultimately that proves productive for you today, and that ultimately you sense the life of God working in your heart in a powerful way. We start a uh, brand new series today, and Devin, I will stand up again, so you're going to have to reframe, so I'm sorry. But uh, this series is called Best Ever, and we are going to work our way through the book of Micah. And this is really fun for me. If you've attended our church for some years, you know that it has been my habit to preach through books of the Bible. And I took a bit of a break um, over the summer, and with our last series, I did it for the pizza, to um, do some thematic work. And I much prefer to work through books of the Bible because I have to do less design work. It's all just there in the book, and my job is really just to exegete it faithfully, to try and point us to Jesus through it, and hopefully to connect you to the story in a way that is life-giving. For those of you who are perhaps watching us for the first time today, I have two goals when I come to the text. Um, I'm a pretty simple preacher, really. I want to give God his glory, and I want to give you your joy. Um, That's really what I'm about. Um, I've always been that way. I'm never going to change. And so there's plenty of other churches that um, will approach the text in a different kind of way, and many of those ways are really good ways to approach the text. But that's how I do it. Uh, We work through books, front to back, front to back, front to back, and I'm really excited to do so. So we're in Micah right now, and this will take us right up through Advent, which is our Christmas series. And uh, then, believe it or not, um, in the new year, I'm going to take us to the book of Exodus. And I'm going to preach you from Exodus 1 right through the events of the Exodus. If you recall, we just finished our four-year odyssey through the book of Genesis um, earlier this year. So I'm excited to take you to Exodus. And then Exodus will take us right up to Easter. And then after Easter, I will begin a series in the Gospel of John. So I'm going to preach you through the Gospel of John in its entirety. And that will begin after Easter. And that will take us right through to fall 2021. So uh, if you want to be reading ahead, those are the books we're in. We're in Micah, then we're in the first section of Exodus, then we are in the Gospel of John. Let me tell you a little bit about Micah. It comes from the name Micha. That's how you pronounce it in Hebrew, Micha, which is short for Mikael, which is the Hebrew version of our English name, Michael. Michael, Mikael, Micha. It um, is a simple name that means something very cool. Me, who, ka, is, el, God. Who is like our God? Mikael, Micha. Of course, the answer to that question is, I hope by now, very clear to you, and perhaps if you're new to this journey with Jesus, you'll be hearing this for the first time, but the answer to who is like our God is nobody. Nobody is like our God. He is singular. Or put another way, he is the best ever. That's where I got the title for this series. Micah comes from Mikael. Who is like our God? Nobody is like our God. He's the best ever. And here's where it begins to become applicable to us. If you belong to Jesus, if you are beginning to walk with Jesus, you have been, you are being invited into the life of God. So if in Jesus you're being invited into the life of the one who is the best ever, I believe that as you walk with Jesus and learn what it means to be like him more and more, which is, of course, the work of a lifetime, 
As you do this, as a Jesus follower, because you are following the one who is the best ever, I believe that becoming the best ever version of you is possible. And I believe ardently that it is not a self-help slogan. You may have a reaction when Pastor Todd says that I hope to help you become the best ever version of yourself through this series. But it's not just about you. And in fact, today as we rail at idolatry, you'll see that it's not really about you at all. So as we follow Jesus, we can begin living the best ever version of our lives. And of course, if you're wondering why, why would we want to do this beyond being happy, healthy, wealthy, and successful? The reason for us to learn to live a best ever kind of life is so that God gets his glory, so that you get your joy, and so that through your transforming lives, much good is done to your city, region, country, and world. God's glory, your joy, the good of the world. That's what this is all about. Welcome to Micha. Micha, Micah of Moresheth. Moresheth is a region in Gath. Gath is where Goliath is from. So if you remember the story of David and Goliath, Micha is from Goliath's neighborhood. Goliath's neighborhood was in an area of Israel called the Shephilah region. I spent quite a bit of time there. The valley of Ayalon is there. Um, the place, the valley where David actually killed the giant Goliath is in the Shephilah region. Um, strangely, in a country like Israel where I grew up, which is you know, fairly dense in terms of its population and not um, very robust in terms of its landmass, the Shephilah region, which is just southwest of the city of Jerusalem where I grew up, is not overly populated. There are several large cities that have been built and developed in the last 30 years in the Shephilah region, but it's quite a beautiful region of kind of rolling hills and mostly farms. And most of the farms in Israel are kibbutzim, they are collective farms. There are communal farms where the farm is owned by the families who have kind of built that farm from the dust of Palestine before it was the modern state of Israel. So the Shephilah region is a region you would like. You would go there on camping trips as a school child. You would go there to um, visit uh, vineyards. You would go there to visit your favorite local farmer. The Shephilah region is where Micha of Moresheth was from. The book of Micah was written somewhere between the mid-700s and the late 600s BC. So it is a very, very old book. So if my math is correct, albeit not my strongest suit, um, that's about 2,700 years distance between the book of Micah and us. It's a very, very old book, and it is a book whose themes are basically twofold, judgment and forgiveness. This is what the book of Micah is about. It's about judgment and forgiveness. Now, it's important to uh, note off the top that Micah is a book of prophecy. Prophecy means to foretell the word of the Lord. Okay, we don't um, talk a lot about prophecy in our age of the world. It is a concept that has all but died out of most mainstream modern churches, which is weird because much of the Bible is prophecy. It is a genre that is perhaps not the dominant genre in the Bible, but it is one of the major genres in all of the Christian and the Jewish scriptures. It's a book of prophecy, forth-telling the word of the Lord. Here's what I wanna invite you to do. In fact, I would urge you to hold these two questions in your heart as we work our way through this book. Because it is a book of prophecy, you have the opportunity here to ask this question. 
does this echo for me and to me today? So as I'm preaching through one of these chapters, you need to be asking yourself, does this echo for me? In fact, moment by moment, you can be asking yourself, does this echo for me today? Is this echoing across the centuries to me? Is this for me today? And it's okay if we have a sermon in this series where you feel like most of it isn't for you. Prophecy can be like that. It might be for two people in the room. It might be for 200 people watching online. It might be for everybody in the room. I don't know. You don't know. God knows. Okay, it's a book of prophecy. Does this echo to me and for me today? And then the second question you need to ask, if you do feel like the subject matter we're working through has some particular resonance for you on any given Sunday, you need to ask yourself, okay, this has resonance for me. What am I going to do about it? Okay, the word of the Lord is always for someone, and when the word of the Lord comes to someone, there is always a response required. Now, if you have uh, joined us in the last few months online, or perhaps some of you in person, and you have not yet experienced um, one of those series where I preach through an entire book of the Bible, it is my habit to read the entire chapter off the top of the sermon. So here is Micha chapter one. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Yotam, Ahaz, and Chizkiyahu, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth and the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. And I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them. And to the fee of a prostitute they shall return." The rest of the chapter here I don't have for you on screen because I'm only preaching for you today from verses 1 through 7. But the chapter continues this way, picking it up at verse 8. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. Micah was known as the naked prophet. He's a Pastor Todd kind of prophet. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches, for her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all in Bet Le'afra. Roll yourselves in the dust, pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanan do not come out. The lamentation of Bet Etzel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Marotz wait anxiously for good because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gates of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgression of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Achzib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will bring again a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Maresha. The glory of Israel shall come to Adulam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. One of the um, tasks when you're preaching a prophetic book is not to preach it 
overly sternly. So I will do my best to be the friendliest version of Pastor Todd I can be. Micah chapter one, best ever by dying to self. First, of course, I need to establish that dying to self is a Christian concept. We get this out of Luke chapter nine, verses 23 through 26. Jesus is speaking here to the people who are following him. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. For what would it profit a woman or a man if they gain the whole world and loses or forfeits their soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So enough said, right? Death to self is not just a Christian concept. It is one of the central concepts in Christianity. Dying to self. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you think about taking up a cross, just that thought would keep you occupied for at least a year of meditative practice. What does it look like to take up a cross? But then Jesus says, take up your cross daily. And that's just like Jesus, to go for the jugular, right? And then to rip your heart out. Okay, take up your cross, not just once in some, you know, big spiritual moment, but to take up your cross every single day day. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Death to self every day is the expectation. Death to self every day. Should I try the third one, Cam? Okay, I can try that one too, because that's their microphone and it might actually work. Hang on here, folks. Devin is going to um, practice some fancy footwork um, in the editing here. And this whole sequence won't actually happen at all in the uh, broadcast version. So let's check mic number three. You ready? Check, check, one, two, one, two. So third time's a charm. If this one keeps cutting out, we'll just ignore it, okay? So we'll uh, do what we can and um, I'll preach loud enough that hopefully you can hear me if this mic continues to drop out. Pray for me. Um, you may be wondering how does death to self connect to the book of Micah. The book of Micah is all about idolatry and its consequences. Okay, that's what the book is about. It's all about idolatry and its consequences. And I want to just remind you that our false worship problem does not involve the false god Baal. He was the chief god of the Canaanites. And even at this point in the history of Judah and Israel, Baal was still a major problem for God's people. We do not have a problem with Baal, the god of thunder. We do not have a problem with Astoreth or Astarte. She was the goddess of fertility, by far, surprise, surprise, the most popular Canaanite goddess. We don't have a problem with her, and we for sure, well, actually, I take that back. We don't have a technical problem with Molech, the god of fire, to whom the Canaanites would sacrifice their children if they found themselves in a protracted season of drought. We don't have a problem with these gods, but our self-worship, our, our false worship problem is a problem of self. Okay, that's our idolatry problem. Our idolatry problem is a problem of self. And I have preached this theme throughout my 26 years in the ministry, and it used to be a lot harder for me to build a case that self is the real problem. These days, it's not so hard. All you have to do is Google how many selfies are taken each day. 
And the answer ought to strike complete and rabid fear in your heart. There are 93 million selfies taken every day worldwide. 93 million. There is now a syndrome attached to this. It's called self-itis, the compulsive need to take selfies. And I thought, that's poetic. Self-itis has been a problem long before all of us were carrying around a camera on our phones. Self-itis, the problem is yourself. That is your idolatry problem. That is my idolatry problem. So I wanna build a case for you this morning for dying to self. Starting with verse one of Micah chapter one. The word of the Lord that came to Micah. Here's the point, it's a simple one. God still speaks. If God still speaks, we know that he still speaks because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So this God who spoke to Micah is a God who does still speak to you. God still speaks. If God still speaks, you are not alone. If you are not alone, you don't have to be obsessed with yourself because you are not the answer. We get all that from the word of the Lord to Micah. Okay, God still speaks, you're not alone. Because you're not alone, you don't have to be obsessed with yourself because you are not the answer. If you find yourself struggling with the worship of self anytime this month, think this sentence to yourself. Um, <clears throat> I'm not the answer I'm looking for. Maybe say it with me in your heart. I'm not the answer I'm looking for. You need to walk away from your self-preoccupation. Paradoxically, that is the way to build a best ever kind of life. Also, point number two, um, remember that your Micah moment is coming. <laughs> In the words of the prophet, it's on the way. Okay, the Micah moment, your Micah moment is on the way. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. Who is Micah of Moresheth? He's a nobody until he's a somebody. And when does he become a somebody? When God, somebody shout! When God involves himself with him is when Micah becomes a somebody. He goes from being a nobody to being a somebody. Why, because he got awesome? No, because the awesome God showed up, not just in his neighborhood, but in his life. Who is this guy? A nobody who became a somebody, why? Because the ultimate somebody, God himself, stepped in. And just in case you tend to think that this is isolated to Micah, the Bible is full of the stories of nobodies who got caught up in the story of God, the ultimate somebody, and everything changed. I want to, yes, I love preaching prophecy. I want to remind you this morning that your life will change when God steps in. If you're looking to change your life, you need to ask God to involve himself with you. I said it off the top. You are not the answer you're looking for. <clears throat> you may be thinking, well, I'm not a prophet, Todd. I know it. Neither am I. I'm certainly, I don't think, ever going to create anything that gets remembered for 2,700 years. You may not be a prophet, but God has his hand on your life. Okay, receive it. I don't know who that's for this morning, but God has his hand on your life. He is using you and he will use you to change the world. I was raised in a tradition that was very big on telling us that we could all grow up to one day change the world. I think that was very true and I'm glad they told me that. They just didn't tell me that I might be changing the world within a very small context. 
You may be changing the world just at work, just in your family, maybe just in your church, maybe just in your city, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe just within the cluster of houses in which you live in your neighborhood. Okay? Not all of us are going to grow up to become Elon Musk. And I think that's probably a very good thing. Okay? But God is, don't mistake it, he's using you to change the world. Make sure you notice how. Okay, notice it. Be aware to the things that you do every day and see if you can sense the hand of God on them. Why do you want to sense this? Because when you sense the hand of God on what you're doing, it's going to give you the excitement you need to do it in a best ever kind of way. Somebody shout at your pastor. Right? That's how. You notice God. You go, oh, God's doing something. You work harder. Why? Because you're working with God. I don't know about you, but if God invites me into the game, I'm going to play the best game I ever played in my whole life. You don't need to make things happen. Why? Your Micah moment is coming. God is involved with you. So uh, you can just die to self. You want to die to self? Why? Because the story is real. Point number three. Still in verse one. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Yotam, Ahaz, and Chizkiyahu, kings of Judah. This is real history. Jordan, throw up the bula for me. Okay? This is the bula of King Hezekiah. I've actually interviewed the archaeologist who found this. They found it back in 2005, but they didn't realize what they'd found until 2015. This is an actual intact seal impression from the seal ring of King Hezekiah of Judah. King Hezekiah is considered probably the most righteous king of Judah. He's right up there with King David and King Solomon in terms of the greatest kings in the, in the Judaic dynasty. Okay, King Hezekiah, he's, he's a great one. This is his seal impression. It was actually found outside the remains of the bakery. I've been there myself. I've seen where it was found. The bakery that served bread to the palace in Jerusalem in the days of King Hezekiah. The reason it survived is because this was actually on a scroll. And what they would do is they would roll the scroll up, bind it with grass, and then put a little dollop of clay in the middle of the grass and then press the seal impression into it. The seal impression would then harden into hardened clay and voila, you've got a seal. Now most bula that we find are broken, right? Because you would break the bula and then open up the scroll. But this was in the bakery. It was probably an order of what kind of bread the king wants. And it was in the bakery at the time that Jerusalem was destroyed and burnt to the ground. And there's an ash layer that actually exists across the entire topographic area of the ancient city of Jerusalem as it's being discovered still to this day by archaeologists in the city. And that ash layer dates to the destruction of Jerusalem, okay, as recorded in the Bible. And so this is found in a uniform ash layer that dates to just after the reign of King Hezekiah when the city was destroyed. And on this bula, we read, Le Chizkiyahu Ben Ahaz, Melech Yehuda, belonging to Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah. So this is one of the most powerful examples we've found in recent history that the Bible is not a fairy tale. It's not a construct, okay? It tells the real true story of God and his people. The story is real. Here's the point. Are you living like it? Are you living like the story is real? You better figure this out. Because the implications are for all of us. I get this out of verse 2. Look what he says here in verse 2. Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. All the people, all the earth, all that is in it. The point is this. Nobody is exempt from God's demands. 
We all think that we're the exception to the rule, amen? We all find ourselves in moments when we think that the rules don't apply to us. Let me just say this morning, because I care about you deeply, you and I, we're just one more sheep in the flock, okay? You are not the exception, so die to self. Why? Because God, point number three, point number five, is about to step in. This is what happens in verses two through four. Hear, O peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Here we come to it in verse three. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth and the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. God is about to step in. God steps in is a very big, significant biblical theme. It's ultimately fleshed out in the incarnation of Christ. When God the Son becomes the man Jesus, he steps into real space-time history to live a life that is perfectly pleasing to God as Father, never sinning once, ultimately going to a cross where he would suffer and die in your place for your sins and for mine. He would die the death that we ought to have died because of our rebelliousness, because of our sin. You perhaps know the story. Because he is God, he does not stay dead, but he rises again the third day, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the God steps in theme that we see here in Micah chapter one. Why is this good news? Receive it. Because when God steps in, things change. Things change when God steps in. So let me ask you this morning, does your life look like God has stepped in? Somebody say touche, preacher. Right, does your life look like God has shown up in it? A key proof that God has shown up in your life is an increasing ability to die to self. It's hard to die to self, why? Because point number six, we're idolaters gone wild. All this, verse five, is for the transgression of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel. What's the transgression of Jacob? Samaria. What is the high place of Judah? Jerusalem. Samaria and Jerusalem, <coughs> were the two capital cities, Samaria in Israel in the north, Jerusalem in Judah in the south. These are the main population centers. This is the big city. This is the cosmopolitan region. The affluent people, the powerful people, the influential people live here. The high places of idol worship were located in these regions. Here is the, I hope, fearsome question or point for you. You are the high place of you. And now the question, are you acting? like you are the high place of you. You may not have a problem with going up to Samaria to worship a false god. You may not have a problem with going up to Jerusalem to worship a false god, but it is very likely that you have a personal problem of worshiping yourself as if you were God. I have read preachers from 100, 200, and 300 years ago, and it seems to me from reading their sermons that their people were pretty self-obsessed also. It's scary. You read a preacher from 200 years ago, and it sounds like he could be preaching to us. Okay, idolatry, the worship of self, is a problem that never goes away. Why? Because we always feel like we have to take care of ourselves. If you want to die to self, you need to learn to kill that me-first outlook that comes so natural. Here's a mantra you can... Speak to yourself in those moments when you find yourself struggling with worshiping yourself. It's not about me. It's not about me. My sweet wife, Nikki, 
Reminds me of this all the time. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. This is a very important lesson to learn because there are always consequences, point number seven, to false worship. Always consequences. As I close, look at verses six through seven. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Your cities shall be laid waste. We need to hear this as your fixation on yourself will be laid waste. Okay, that's how this echoes to you today. Your city may not be being laid waste, but you may be being laid waste because of your fixation on yourself. Your fixation on yourself is being made a heap of. It's being beaten to pieces. It's being burned with fire. It's being laid waste. This struck me to the heart when I wrote it. Can you think of a more apt description for most of our peers' lives? How many people do you know whose lives are being made a heap of? Do you know anybody who's being broken to pieces? I mean, nod your head at me if you know somebody who right now is being broken to pieces. Do you know somebody whose dreams have been burned by fire? Are there any relationships that you have that are right now being laid waste? The point for you is beautiful. You don't need to live that way. And Josh and Kath and Matt and Daniel, you can join me because I'm done. You don't need to live a desolate life. You don't need to. You can live a best ever kind of life, so make your choice. Divine destiny or desolation? Desolation, ultimate desolation. It was outlined here in verse seven, part B. Get this, this is like, Poetic and horrible. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Okay, most idols in the cities at this time were not just in the high places, but everyone had their own little personal idols in their house. And so he's saying that you prostituted yourself, literally sold yourself for sex, and the money you earned from that you used to buy the idol that you put in your house. And now your city's gonna be laid waste and those who conquer your city are gonna take that idol, they're gonna sell it and use that money to buy a prostitute. That is the desolate, receive it. That is the desolation that comes as fruit of worship of self. That is one choice. The other choice is this. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Friends, God still speaks. Your moment is coming. The story is real, and it's for all of us. God has stepped in, so you don't have to be the high place of you anymore, which is a very good thing because there are consequences to false worship. So make your choice, destiny or desolation. And the key to making the right choice is to die to self. And somebody said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you're leaving feeling encouraged. If you have any questions for us or you'd like to pay us a visit, you can find all the info you need on our website, gracecommunity.ca.